It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. and Mike Fires has thrown his second no-hitter. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Hits one out. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From the opener to launch angles to clutch moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Why is it that you people, and I do mean you people, why do you hate the opener so much? For some reason, baseball fans absolutely hate the opener. And I don't know why. Why is change so tough for fans? The strategy behind it is the fact that the numbers show for a starting pitcher And it doesn't matter who the starting pitcher is. This works for everybody. That old adage that they used to say, he gets stronger as the game game goes longer. That's crap. See, it's these things that smart people coming into baseball, and that's why I bring up Moneyball, Smart people coming into baseball have figured out a lot of these old adages, they don't work. They're not real. It's hocus pocus. The longer that that pitcher stays out on the mound and the longer that the lineup that he's facing sees that pitcher, he doesn't get better. He really doesn't get better. They have these numbers, and we're not even talking fancy analytics. We'll talk batting average, right? Old batting average. The batting average versus the starting pitcher. First time through the lineup, second time through the lineup, third time through the lineup is so dramatically different. You got offenses basically hitting like 300 the third time through against basically almost every pitcher. That's why you don't want him going through the lineup even a fourth time. God, you don't even want to see those numbers. So that's why they have the opener. The theory is the opener goes out and faces the first three batters ideally or the first four batters. Those are the best hitters. Your best players 
are one through four, one through five. Those are your best hitters. And if I get through them with a reliever one time, and then I bring in this starter, he now can get me to the sixth, seventh inning, and hopefully he only goes through the order twice himself. Now, I understand a lot of people will say, well, it doesn't work. And that's why I always compare it to a field goal kicker. Nobody likes field goal kickers. Nobody. You only like field goal kickers when they make field goals and they win games. As soon as field goal kickers miss field goals, you want them cut. You want tryouts to be going on. You want a new kicker. As they, I know, for years, like, whether it's been Bill Romanowski, Lincoln Kennedy, all these guys that I've worked with, they can't stand kickers. They don't believe they're football players. That's why I compare it to the opener. But the Rays have shown us that the opener works. They've already used it this year 18 times. How about this note, if you don't think the opener works? The Tampa Bay Rays have the best ERA in baseball, and they use the opener more than anybody. They started using the opener May 19, 2018. I remember when it happened. I started asking everybody about it. And I remember the answer because, let's face it, when you're around the ballpark, you're around a lot of people who are, they don't like change. Baseball people are weird like that. They don't want anything different. They just want it all to be the same because that makes them comfortable. And I remember doing the interview about the opener because I thought it was fascinating. Because it's something that I actually did. And we actually did at San Jose State. There were times where our head coach, the Hall of Famer, Sam Perraro, would call it a bullpen game. So a starter, like what you saw in the playoffs, we were very successful doing. All the relievers, you'll take two innings, you'll take an inning, you'll take two innings, and it was a staff game. And it's very tough for a lineup to see that many different pitchers. That's why they say Joe DiMaggio's 51-56-game hitting streak will never be touched because Joe only faced like 54 pitchers during that time. If you were to hit like Ramon Laureano's got a 16-game hitting streak. If he was to approach 56 games, you know how many pitchers? You're facing five pitchers a night, basically. It'd be crazy how many guys he would face compared to what Joe DiMaggio had to deal with. The more different arms you throw at a lineup, the better chance you have of being successful. And I remember all these old guard baseball people last year when I was bringing up the opener, their excuse was, well, Tampa has to do it. And a team, legit teams, won't have to do it. Oh, really? Would you call the Los Angeles Dodgers a legit team? The Los Angeles Dodgers have used the opener, and they're on pace for 112 wins. Everybody's going to use the opener. It's not going away. By the way, the Rays, 
when they used Sergio Romo for the first time? The Rays had the ninth highest ERA in baseball in 2018 before the opener. The moment they used the opener, they had the best ERA the rest of the way in all of baseball. Adapt or die, people. You got to be able to make change. You got to be able to change with the game. I don't understand why you're uncomfortable with it. I don't have a problem with it. And the A's are doing it again tonight. And the Angels, the Angels have already used the opener 10 times. This is going to be their 11th time. For the A's, it's going to be their 13th. And the guy who's going to follow Cam Bedrosian, look at the numbers. Can we say the numbers don't lie? Felix Pena, as a traditional starter for the Angels, is 0-1 with a 4.15 ERA. Felix Pena, following an opener, is 3-0 with a 3.13 ERA. Which guy do you want to throw out there? You want to throw out the guy who's 0-1 or you want to throw out the guy that's 3-0? Right now, the A's using the opener 1-1 on the season. Now, for Liam Hendricks, you can make the case, I don't want, to, I don't want him to be the opener anymore. Because Liam Hendricks has turned in one of the best relief seasons so far in 2019. In 23 relief appearances, he's only allowed four runs. That's an ERA of 1.19. It's fabulous. And you saw him last night late in the game. Maybe this is a time where the bullpen can actually settle, and it could be Liam, and it can be Trevino, and can be Trinan, and get the bullpen going again. But Liam has been fabulous, and now he's such a weapon. You know, I don't, I don't want to see him start in the game. I want to see him late in the game. I want to see him in the high leverage situation late in games because that's how good he's been throwing. And by the way, can't say enough, what a hell of a guy he is. All the things that he and his wife are doing, making sure kids don't go hungry, where they have those backpacks full of, full of food for kids on the weekends whose parents are really struggling. He's trying to stop cyberbullying. He's teamed up with Tony LaRusso and Arf. I mean, this guy does a ton of stuff. He and his wife, what they're doing, they're using their platform for the good. And that's why I really root for Liam Hendricks. He's a special, special man. Eric, can you hear me? I can. How are you? I'm great. This is your time of the year. This is like Christmas Day for you. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, it is. This is the day after Christmas, really. Yesterday is a big, is, would really be Christmas Day. But Talk to us about Logan Davidson. You, you, you mentioned yesterday that you've been scouting him since high school. Were you surprised that he fell to you at 29, and how excited were you when he was there? I think we were definitely uh, pleasant. We were pleasantly surprised. I mean, you know, he's a guy that was prognosticated to go anywhere from the teens to just in front of us. So we were certainly uh, 
surprised he got there and very excited that he did. I mean, he's a guy we kind of targeted. We had seen since high school, but uh, early in the spring, we had targeted him as a potential fit, and it's nice when things work out like that. And there's a comparison out there right now to Jed Lowry as a switch hitter and Jed coming out of Stanford. Do you see a comparison to Jed Lowry with Logan? Yeah, I guess that's a possibility. The one the one thing to remember about Jed is he never played shortstop in college. So um, Logan is already a shortstop. Um, he's a very good shortstop. I did see yesterday uh, that he compared himself to Corey Seager. So maybe somewhere in between, you know, Obviously, if he can end up with with Jed's bat, that would be a that would be a win, and uh, you know, shortstop defense would be great as well. And a lot of people were bringing up yesterday. I don't think it's really fair, but they brought it up is that he struggled for two years in the Cape Cod League when he wasn't using a metal bat. Were, did you have any concern about that? Um, you know, in a perfect world, we we would have um, loved to have him uh, succeed at a higher rate in the Cape. But at the same time, we evaluated him in the Cape, and and as far as uh, as evaluating his physical ability, I mean, we were uh, we saw everything we wanted to see there. Um, and I, I think Logan himself said, you know, part of his struggle in the Cape was just getting used to different surroundings, and and he's a very routine-oriented uh, player, and it was harder for him to stay in his routine in the Cape than it is at Clemson. And I think about shortstops, and I compared it to tight ends in the NFL draft. A lot of people like to take tight ends because there's a lot of different things you can do with them. You can make them a tight end. You can beef them up and make them a lineman. You can make them a defensive end or a linebacker. And I think about that with shortstops. Shortstops usually are the best athletes on the field with center fielders, and you can take a shortstop and, and have them do a lot of different things like Chad Pender. Is that something you guys like taking shortstops because of their athletic ability and versatility? Well, generally, um, shortstops and center fields, like you said, are the best players on their team, whether it's high school or college. So, and that applies to you know you'll see when when you look down our draft at, at some of the high school kids we drafted, they're center fielders and and shortstops. So they're they're you know over time the shortstop and the center fielder is generally the best player on their team. So that's that's kind of where we gravitate towards. So I look at some high school guys that you took. I look at Marcus Smith out of Kansas City, who's committed to play at Michigan. I look at Jalen Greer out of Illinois, who's committed to play at Missouri. When you're going through the draft process with high schoolers and you know they have a scholarship and they're signed to go somewhere, how do you go about that when you're taking a guy that high to make sure that you know that he's going to sign? Yeah, most of these kids nowadays have advisors, and there's a lot of conversation that we have. Um you know, to, to get to the point where we feel feel comfortable about their uh, intention to sign a professional contract. So uh, there's just a lot of conversation, um, you know, and, and every high school player who's been drafted in the last two days was probably committed somewhere. Um, so it's not unusual for guys to commit and sign. And, and um, in fact, it's, it's more the norm. And we just have, uh, we spend a lot of time uh, getting to know the kids and talking to them and also talking to their advisors. So we, by the time we get to picking him, we feel pretty comfortable that we can get something done. Tyler Baum out of North Carolina, you took in the second round, a very accomplished college pitcher. Tell us about this right-hander. Yeah, just super athletic, instinctive. Uh, he's got the, a big fastball, a power breaking ball, uh, but we certainly really, really like the athletic, athleticism and the stuff. 
when you take a college guy, it's it's far different projecting him to the big leagues versus a high school guy. So if you're a if you're a high pick as a college player, what is usually the standard when you want to see him get to the big leagues? That's hard to say. I mean, I, I think every kid has their own timeline. We don't like to put a, a, our own timeline on them. Some kids take longer. Some some kids get there quicker. Um, obviously, the college guys have three years of development uh, already behind them, um, you know, at, at the college level, and they've had three years of, of maturation, both emotional and physical. So they have a head start, but I don't think anyone here likes to put uh, force anyone into a timeline. I mean, I think it just each kid has their own. And we know your fourth-round selection, Kyle McCann, it's always tough when you're playing at a big program and you're sitting behind a guy like Joey Bart, who was a top pick last year by the San Francisco Giants. But he got his chance to play. Tell us about this catcher. Looks like he's got big-time power. Yeah, big power. And even last year when he wasn't catching, he was he was DH to play in first base, and he showed us the, the ability with the bat and the power. Um he carried that on to his junior year, and and he got behind the plate and did a did a great job. And uh, you know that's that's a valuable thing, a, a catcher with with offensive uh, impact. And let's end on this. It was funny before you came on. We were playing clips from Moneyball in the old draft room in Moneyball, where they're talking about the guy's girlfriend's ugly, so he he doesn't have confidence. And he, he who's Fabio? It's some of the great stuff. And and uh, uh, and also talking about how you can't put a team together, Billy Bean, because of a computer. When, when when I think about analytics now, and you have more information on these players than ever before, how much do you use analytics now in the draft compared to what you did years ago? Yeah, um, yeah it's it's a whole different world. I mean, when I first started here at the A's, we didn't even, we had one computer in the whole office. So um, things have changed. We have so much more information. Um, what we try and do here as scouts is. is it's a really difficult job trying to predict the future on 18 and 21 year old kids. And, you know, any information that we can get, we're going to, we're going to use to, to try and make the most educated decisions. So, I mean, it's, it's, you can't even com- compare the draft now to when I started here 30 years ago. We always like to play this game. If you're a commissioner, what would you do? You're commissioner for the day. What would you do? And I'll take your suggestions at 510-897-1322. Don't call in. Text. You can text us at 510-897-1322. If I was commissioner for a day, what I would change is exactly what happened last night with the A's. It's a travesty. We had a 4-2 ball game. There was only six runs scored in a game. That's it. Six. Didn't go extra innings, but it still went three hours and four minutes. How does a game that only has six runs go three hours and four minutes? Once again, the old guard out there, I don't care how long it takes. Well, I do. Sports are not supposed to be going three-plus hours. The game on Sunday went four and a half hours. Can you imagine if the Angels didn't score on Sunday? That could have been a five-hour game. Baseball should be played in about two hours. Two hours, two hours, and 15 minutes. 
this this standard three hours in the game of baseball is not good for the game. So we looked it up. Entering today, the average nine-inning game is three hours and three minutes. And you wonder why attendance is down? You wonder why TV ratings are down? You wonder why radio ratings are down? Who honestly is going to sit and listen to a three-hour baseball game on the radio? Unless you're driving around. Maybe you're an Uber driver. Maybe you got to run a lot of errands. Three hours? Three, you're going to sit there for three hours straight and listen to the radio. How many people really have the time for three hours just to sit on your couch and watch a game? And you, you think about kids. My kids are 13. They're not up at 10 o'clock at night. You're really hurting your future. Because your games are going well past 10 o'clock. Even when school's out. How many parents are going to have their kids at 1030 at night still at the ballpark? Like it's something that needs to be addressed. Because it's not getting better, it's getting worse. They're getting longer and longer and longer. And anybody out there who says you don't care, well, A, you probably don't have kids. B, you probably don't have to get up and go to your job the next day. That's why I love when we're in Cleveland. Cleveland was starting their games at 6 o'clock. I'm like, this is brilliant. I don't care that it would be tough to get to games because of traffic in the Bay Area. But I think the end result would be better. If you started your games at 6 o'clock at night and the game is now over at 9. You're home by, for most of you who are going to A's games, you're home by 9.30. That's a big difference than 10.30. 11 o'clock. But I just, I, I don't know why. Is it all the bullpen? Is it shifts? Is it is it players? I, I, I Whatever it is, they need to speed this damn thing up. I bet if we went back and looked at the A's when they won three straight World Series, 72, 73, and 74, I bet the average game was under 230. Easy. I remember when they had the big three in Atlanta, the Hall of Famers, Maddox, Schmoltz, Glavin. Their average home games back then were like two hours and 15 minutes. Two hours is plenty of time. Two hours, two and a half hours, plenty of time. It's becoming a, it's becoming a, a big problem in football, too. You watch a college football game? A college football game... Because the clock stops when you throw the football and no one catches it, the clock stops. College football games are now over four hours long. How many people really want to sit and watch something for four plus hours or more on a Saturday? Our weather's beautiful here in the Bay Area. 
it really is tough for me to sit and watch a full-length, and I love college football. I just, I, I need things to be quicker. My life's changed. I got stuff going on. I got two kids. I, I, I don't have, now I'm, I'm speaking as I'm you. Obviously, I'm working around it, so I'm going to be, but part, I, I think part of the problem too is, is that baseball players, they're just, their lives are being at the ballpark all day long. Literally players, like down in Anaheim right now, the game's at 7 o'clock. Players will get there like at noon. I actually had this conversation with Ray Fossey. Like, Ray, Ray just can't understand why the buses leave so early. Like, why does everybody need to get there so early? When they were winning championships, the A's back in the day, they showed up like a couple hours before the game. Why are you there at noon for a 7 o'clock game? Why are you there at 1 o'clock? I mean, players are there all day. They're just there all They're just used to being there all day long because they got no place to go. Is And, and I'm looking at the 408. Once again, you can text 510-897-1322 from the 408. I agree. I think it's time for a pitch clock or at least get pitchers on the same page. Get the ball, throw the ball. Do you think the A's will push the start times to six instead of seven? I saw SF started doing that this year. Yeah, the Giants started, what, 645? They need to do something. Because this next generation of fans, they don't want to sit there for three and a half hours. Especially when you cut off booze in the seventh. And the longest innings are the seventh, eighth, and ninth, and now you've cut off booze. I don't know what the answer is, but they have to do something. It would be interesting to see if everybody in baseball started their games earlier, if attendance would change, if attendance would go, we see attendance go up. Because right now, doing it, doing it the way they're doing it right now, attendance is down. So... I, you can't tell me the way it's going is successful. And I don't want to, I don't, I mean, I, I'm always, I always want to be positive about the game. But you can't tell me three plus hours is helping ratings on radio or helping radio, helping ratings on television or helping attendance. I have the proof. It doesn't. Adapt or die. Baseball's got to figure something out. Get the ball, get on the mound, and throw it. Get your butt in the box and swing it. I mean, partially, everybody's trying to take so many pitches. Every at-bat lasts so long. They've got to figure something out. Somebody from the 510, two fa 10 foul balls equals an out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it is. Do something. Figure out that you got to juice baseball, too. Get rid of the juice baseball. Get a regular ball back in there so we're not, it's not like hitting a pinball, for God's sakes. 
Are we ready for a little adapt or die? You got your fancy new open, Cody. I know you're very excited. Let's do this. It's time for Adapt or Die on A's Cast Live. You don't put a team together with a computer, Billy. Oh, yes, you do. Our buddy Eno Saris from The Athletic joins us here on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Eno, how are we? I'm doing good today. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's always great having you on because we always get smarter when we have you on and we learn about beer. So we get smarter and beer. That's why I love having you on. <laughs> yeah, it's a good combination. So I, 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 I want to not everybody knows analytics, right? And you're somebody that is well versed in analytics. So I, I, I want to teach people. So what I'd like to do with you is take one analytic that you think is very important and explain to us why the analytic is important and why teams need to look at this analytic. Well, I've got one that I like, and uh, I'll just there's two flavors of it, and I'll just tell you the, the two flavors. One's called OPS Plus, and then the other one's called WRC Plus. They basically try to do the same thing, which is sum up a player's offensive performance but adjust it for uh, not only the league that they're in, but the park that they play in. Uh, so that helps you understand a little bit better how you can compare someone who plays in San Francisco or in Colorado uh, or, you know, wherever. Uh, and so that helps put them all on a level playing field. And what I also like about it is it's easy to say, if you don't use all the alphabet, you can say his offense was 20% better than league average. Uh, which I think, you know, that makes sense. You're like, oh, okay, I get that. I know what you're trying to say. Yeah, because I I like when you start using numbers that adjust to where you play and who you play against. It it seems more fair. Yeah, and uh, sometimes it goes too far. Like, I, you know, there's something that's hard about playing in Denver uh, that isn't captured by the numbers. There's... So when you're in Denver, you see a lot of fastballs because nobody's bendy stuff breaks. And then when you go on the road, you see a bunch of, of junk uh, compared to what you see at home. And so you, if you're a hitter in, in Colorado, there's a lot of hitters who've left Colorado who've done surprisingly well after they left to Colorado, like Matt Holliday. Um, I don't know. I can't think Dexter Fowler. There have been other players that people thought, oh, he's not going to be any good after he leaves uh, Denver. So Denver is just a problem on its own. At the same time, we know that someone playing in Oakland, uh, Seattle, San Francisco, they deserve a little bit of extra credit for doing well in those in those situations. You know, someone brought up to me one time, and I, I found this pretty interesting, about Colorado, is playing in elevation is tougher than playing at sea level. And you can get injured more playing at elevation and i've heard this not only for baseball we've also heard it for the nba and the national hockey league and the nfl there is something (laughs) to be said about staying healthy like todd helton and playing all those games arenado playing all those games up in elevation yeah i think i would have my guys sleep in in hyperbaric chambers or something if i could afford it because you know, one of the things they say is that they sleep way better on the road. That's another thing. If you go to elevation, anybody who's gone camping or whatever will notice that, you know, it's harder to sleep at elevation. So, you know, players will actually do workouts 
they'll plan their workouts when they land in San Francisco or in San Diego because they know they'll sleep well that night and recover well. And then they, when they get home, sometimes they don't work out because they're trying to avoid getting hurt and not recovering well uh, when they're in Denver. So it's a whole thing that's like really hard to deal with. And they really have a lot uh, to overcome to, to be a good team. Well, it looks like we have breaking news in Major League Baseball, and we've been wondering where Keichel and Kimbrell are going to go. And Ken Rosenthal uh, from Your Athletic is is breaking the news that the Cubs have signed free agent closer Craig Kimbrell pending a physical, sources tell the Athletics. So what do you think about that move for Joe Madden and the Cubbies? It's good. They've been having a lot of trouble in the bullpen, uh, and they've got, they're in a dogfight of a division. Somebody is going to come out of that division, winning that division with 90 wins probably. Um, and they've got to stay ahead of St. Louis and Milwaukee. And uh, I think, you know, it's weird that it kind of has something to do with Ben Zobris being away from the team and saving them money. But um, at the same time, you know, good kudos for them for going out and getting a, a shut him down closer and trying to shorten the game that way. Yeah, it was pretty bizarre that and I, and I, and I guess you can price yourself out. But historically, this guy has been one of the best closers we have ever seen. And and, and when we first started Ace Cast Live, we had it on uh, Tr- Blake Trinan and Lou Trevino. And when I brought up Kimbrell not having a job, obviously Trinan knows him. They're on the all-star team together. And he was just like, he was pretty miffed about it. Trinan was not happy about it. So I'm glad this guy finally has a job because he truly has been one of the best closers we've ever seen. And I'm sure that his demands were in line with what happened in the past. And, you know, yes, okay, maybe the, the market is changing a little bit. Maybe they misread it. But, like, wasn't there – weren't there some teams that came back and said, we're not going to give you Chapman's deal, but we'll give you, you know, Chapman's deal minus a few million? Like, wasn't that on the table? And, and if it was, why wasn't it? Because Chapman and Kimbrell have been the two best relievers in baseball, you know, over the last few years. So, uh, I'm really – I was kind of – I didn't understand that one. And there's – some people have talked about velocity loss. There's been virtually no velocity loss for Craig Kimball. He lost maybe uh, a quarter tick uh, last year. And compared to where he was early in his career, he's actually up. So, you know, he still throws 97, still has a great breaking ball. I, I, don't, I don't see the problem. Yeah, and someone said this to me, and it's really resonated with me, that baseball may be the only sport that truly doesn't put their best 25 guys out on the field. Like, you'd never see that in football or basketball as as they'll hold guys in the minor leagues because they don't want to start their clock. It's like there's teams in baseball that just don't put out the very best effort, and it's mind-blowing to me. Yeah, I think there's a couple things going on. I mean, some of that, like you've alluded to with the minor leaguers, that has to do with the CBA and stuff. But there's other things going on, which is just that, because of TV money and there's great national TV money and then local TV money. And because of that TV money, teams can be profitable before they ever get any, a single person to attend a game. So they don't have the same impetus to put a team out there that'll win because that that'll just cost more money, you know? Uh, So there are, I think there are teams that are, that have a tighter budget than you'd expect. Um, and, uh, and so therefore are not necessarily putting, uh, the best teams out there. So it's definitely a problem. So when you look at the central now, the Cubs are tied with the Brewers and winning percentage, 
Cardinals are three back. Pirates are five back. Reds are five and a half back. So it's a really tight division. Do you think adding Kimbrell will put the Cubs over the top? I, yeah, I was. I always thought it was super close. I I like the Cardinals going into the season, but you know they've had some trouble. They're going to call up Alex Reyes, this kid, fireballing kid that's one of the better prospects in the minors. And if he if he puts it together, they could have what they need. I mean, they have their own guy throwing 102 or whatever uh, in the bullpen and Jordan Hicks. So you know the Cardinals are very good. The Brewers are you know somehow amazing. I I always look at that team and say I have no idea how they're doing it. You know, it's like they've got a couple good players. I mean, yes, Christian Yelich is great. But then, you know, how many other great players do they have? Uh, and yet they somehow just put everybody in position to win. You know, so it's th- going to be a really tough year. You know, and I think about bullpens year to year. It's just so hard to gauge. I mean, you look how historic the A's were last year and how historic Blake Trinan was, and then now you look at this year. Have you ever really looked into that, how tough it is to to maintain a good bullpen year after year? Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the things that's, that's so true is that uh, when you're evaluating a reliever, you're evaluating somebody that threw 50 or 60 innings last year. And if that was their first year that was that they were good, that's the only 50 or 60 year innings you have to work off of. Anthony Swarzak got a three-year deal from the Mets because he jumped up in velocity uh, in his last stop. And, you know, he's had trouble since, and he kind of dropped back down to his old velocity. So, all, And then if you look at the Rockies, the Rockies went and signed like four or five relievers in one offseason. Wade Davis is still pretty good, but he's hurt. And a lot of the other guys didn't work out at all. And some of those, like Brian Shaw, had a long track record of being good. So, yeah, that's the hardest thing about about relievers is just knowing who's going to be good uh, year after year after year. That's why the guys like Kimbrell and Chapman get a lot of money because they've proven they can be good every year um, as opposed to, you know, guys that sort of pop up. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, I think teams also think that they can turn – there are starters in the minors that are not making it into relievers. They can find relievers. They can minor league invite some guys and find out who's throwing 95 this year and, and put it together. Uh, but, you know, one thing about the A's is they've, they've always gone out and added relievers. I mean, that's one thing that, you know, Billy has said, it's an easy way for me to spend the small amount of money I have to improve my team in any given year. Um, so, you know, they're finding their way through it right now. Uh, with Blake taking a tiny step back and, and Trevino trying to find it. Uh, but Trevino's got great stuff, and I have confidence in him. I think this bullpen will turn it around. Eno Sears from The Athletic joins us here at AceCast Live with Chris Townsend. And one thing I really wanted to talk to you about is with the draft and looking at what the Houston Astros are doing, where the Astros are scaling back on scouts. They're basically just paying people to go out and videotape the players that they're interested in. How do you feel about Jeffrey Liu now, his approach? And we know that his tree, guys under him, are now ending up in different organizations. Is is this going to change scouting forever? It might. And what's happening also on top of that is the kids are wearing all these sensors these bat sensors and they're they're actually playing in front of a lot of the same tracking systems that the major leaguers play in front of so they'll be track man at different showcases and it'll tell they'll tell teams how hard does this guy hit the ball how you know what in what angles does he hit the ball uh in some certain cases you'll get some stuff about bat speed and you'll get to you'll really learn 
uh, all the sort of metrics that you get from major leaguers are starting to get for, you know, 12, 13, 14 year olds. I mean, this, this is how it's like, what it's like these days. So if you've gotten all those metrics, uh, then, and you, and then you get video, they, I think they think that they understand the, the sort of biometrics, the, the, the body, the movements of the body that make you good. Uh, and so they can say, well, we'll just have a bunch of guys look at the video in house that know what body movements are good. And then, uh, and then we'll know what we need to know without having a ton of scouts out there. But I think what they're going to miss is, you know, there's this guy Williams, the studio, um, who has been really good for, for the twins. And he's kind of like short and he's not maybe the best catcher in the world. He doesn't have a great power or discipline, but he can put bat to ball like nobody else. I mean, he has more homers and strikeouts in his career, and he has like five homers. So this is a guy that won't show up on your regular scouting list won't and will fall through the cracks, and it takes people going to places and seeing them uh, to find them and to say, you know what, he's weird looking, but it's going to work. Uh, and so I, I still think there's a big place for scouts in the game. You know, makeup is hugely important. I talked to Zach Granke about this a lot. Granke and Jake Odorizzi are these two pitchers, you know, that were drafted because they could throw 94. Odorizzi threw a slider back then. Now he's a, a fastball a splitter guy, and he's a totally different pitcher than he used to be. Granke added Felix's power change, and he's a totally different pitcher than when he was drafted. How do you know that those guys are going to learn those things? How do you know ahead of time that those guys are going to be the kind of people that say, hey, I'm going to learn this pitch. I'm going to do the most I can to get out of what I, what I have. So I think that's something you see if you send a scout to watch. Nothing like checking out the spin rate and the spin efficiency of a 16-year-old, right? <laughs> that's right. And, and we're starting to get all those numbers. It's kind of crazy. I mean, I, I can't imagine being the father of a teenager right now and making decisions about, you know, should he wear the bat sensor? Or should he let everybody know what his spin rate is and his exit velocity is right now at 14? Oh, it's unbelievable. Eno, you are the best. Thank you so much for stopping by. We truly appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's always fun. Tim, how are you? Good, guys. I'll tell you what, I, I, I love the first intro. I'm sorry we had to get cut short there. Yeah, well, you know, I, when I saw you, you've been great to us over the years. It's going to be sad to see you leave the Angels after all these years. But to become the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame, what was that process like? Because what a responsibility this job is. Well, I, I tell you, I, I would like to sit here and say it was a, a long, drawn-out process, but it kind of came together very quickly. In essence, Jeff Idelson has been a friend of mine for 30-plus years, and Jeff came out to spring training to, to conduct some business and pulled me aside and, and just asked me if, if I would be interested, uh, that I would be you know, his choice and recommendation to Jane Forbes Clark. And we had a good talk. Um, I thought about it for about six, seven days and hemmed and hawed and, and just realized I have a new grandson, my family, and this is my second family here with the Angels. And I just called him back and said, I, I, Jeff, I just can't, I can't do it. Um, as hard a decision as it was, and it was a very emotional decision to turn it down. Um, and then two days later, I, I received a text from, from, Jane Forbes Clark and gave her a call and she said that, uh, you know, I appreciate the consideration and just asked if there was a, a slight opening in my mind for a conversation. And I said, certainly. So, you know, cutting to the chase, I flew to Fort Lauderdale and Wellington and 
met with her for two and a half hours, and then on the way, uh, was catching my return flight. I was at the airport, and I called her because my sentiment was that I was there going there just to allow her to, to determine whether I would be a candidate for the interview process. And I, I asked her the question, if, if, uh, you know, if, if my family is in agreement with this, when would it start? And she said, well, I've called the members of the, uh, you know, the selection committee and told them I'm offering you the job. So it's yours if you want it. Wow. Powerful stuff. And the baseball hall of fame means so much to, to us baseball fans. And for me and my family personally, after my grandfather's career, we have a lot of stuff of my grandfather's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I've been very fortunate to go down below into the bowels of the Hall of Fame and see how they store everything. And, you know, it, it, this is how our game is protected and the history of our game is protected. That has to excite you so much that you're going to be the curator of this wonderful museum. Well, I, I think it's and I appreciate that, but I, I'm looking at it as for the last 40 years, I've been part of a team. Um, year in and year out, and things change. I'm going to Cooperstown to join a tremendous team that's in place already. Jeff certainly did a, a fantastic job during his tenure, and and the the folks that preceded him did as well. I'm going there with eyes wide open and ears wide open to learn. Um, I, I understand the responsibility, and there's going to be a lot of different aspects of it. Uh, but ultimately, as I've said many times, that, that we live our lives very much in the present. And, you know, with our eyes a little bit on the future. But but now I have an opportunity to go back and live in the past a little bit. And I think uh, somebody des- described it today. It's a it's a romantic place to be, uh, knowing the responsibility to protect history. The, the history, you know, baseball represents so much of our society. So I, I look at it as not just the world of baseball, but, but really a lot of uh, Americana as well. You have done so much work with the angels over the years and you've had multiple roles and you've been with them for 40 years what do you think is going to be the toughest thing for you leaving what is a great organization the day i uh the day i walk out the door and uh have a check behind me for the last time you know i've described it as right now i'm uh you know i'm one of the children of the angels when i come back i'll probably be one of the cousins but i you know i i think the hardest thing will be leaving the people because that's, that's inclusive of ushers and the, the house cleaners and the ticket takers and the parking lot attendants, as much as it is Mike Trout, Albert Pools, Shoei Otani, Cole Calhoun. And I, I really do mean that. I, I, I look at everybody as very, very similar. We have different responsibilities and status, but at the end of the day, we're just, uh, we're all people. And I've been blessed to be around some very, very good people. What also is interesting about this job is the transition of moving. And I guess I know a lot about Orange County and I know a lot about Cooperstown, New York. You <laughs> couldn't find two places totally different. What do you think that's going to be like for you? Well, I will tell you, out of, out of all the emails and texts and messages that I received, it was, hey, congratulations, but what about the weather? And uh, I would tell you that uh, my winter wardrobe for Southern California um, – Probably will work in August in Cooperstown, but uh, I'll be doing some shopping. And, you know, everybody generally tries to come east to west if they're going to semi, you know, slow down. It's going to be a challenge and, you know, it's going to be a it's a a welcomed opportunity. And uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, my wife is just retired as a school teacher. So she's going to be coming out for 
pockets at a time, and, and I'm going to try to come back to California as frequently as I can. So, you know, for whatever cold spells I go through, I'll warm up occasionally uh, throughout the winter. Well, you, here. you've been a class act, and you've been good to all of us in Major League Baseball over the years. Congratulations on this wonderful opportunity, and actually I'll see you on uh, Thursday, the last game of this three-game set. But thank you so much for taking the time. I look forward to it, and thank you guys for all you do for the game as well. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.